0: I'm delighted to be joined on the second episode of A Life Curated by the legendary fashion illustrator and Claridge's artisan residence, David Downton. Over the last decade, David has established a reputation as one of the world's leading fashion artists. His classically elegant yet highly contemporary images with his sweeping style have been a key factor in the revival of interest in the tradition of fashion illustration. And David is a worthy successor to the great artists in his field, including René Gros, Karl Erikson and Antonio Lopez. Originally a commercial illustrator, his big break came in 1996 when he was commissioned to draw the Paris couture by a Sunday supplement, and since that time has worked principally as a fashion illustrator. His reports from the shows have appeared in, amongst others, Vogue, V Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, The Times, The New York Times, Telegraph Magazine, and most recently, Vanity Fair. It has been written that David carries the golden age of illustration into the 21st century and that his style expertly blurs the lines between fashion and fine portraiture. Subsequently, David has produced life portraits of some of the world's most beautiful and iconic women. Kate Blanchett, Dita Von Teese, Erin O'Connor, Catherine Deneuve, Jasmine Guinness, Iman, Linda Vagilista, Rachel Weisz, and Paloma Picasso, to name a few. His commercial clients include Chanel, the v Dior, Tiffany & Co, Harrods and Estee Lauder. In September 2011, he was appointed the first ever fashion artist in residence at Claridge's Hotel in London, in which capacity he has been commissioned to draw the hotel's most illustrious guests from the world of style and fashion. David's first monograph, Portrait of the World's Most Stylish Women, published by Lawrence King, was launched in September 2015. Recorded from David's suite at Claridge's, my name is Nolan Brown. I'm an art advisor with a podcast. This is a Life Curated. David, it's, hello. it's so good to see you and thank you so much for agreeing to sit down for the second episode of Life <coughs> Curated. How are you? Delighted. I am great, thank you. All things considered, the world has gone to hell in a handcart. I feel pretty good. How about you? Uh, I am excited as always and it's always a thrill uh, to see you. Um, let's kick off. Okay. The early years. Mm-hmm. What was your very first art memory?
1: Walt Disney animation, uh, was really the first time I engaged with art, if I can call it that. Drawings, acting. Those movies, Lady and the Tramp, Peter Pan, The Jungle Book, used to be re-released during my youth in the 1960s. They would come along every couple of years. And I was totally transported into that world. And Disney had one of the great art schools in America. Those people could draw uh, like a dream. Yeah. And that idea that drawings could act really had a profound effect on me.
0: They did. They attracted the, the very, very best. And so what was the art scene like for you growing up?
1: Oh, there was no art scene for me growing up. I grew up without an
0: art scene. I grew up in a
1: sporting household. My father was a very gifted sportsman. If you threw a ball from the next county, it would end up in his hand. And he passed that skill on to my brother, who became England wicketkeeper in time. So uh, it was a sporting household. We had Wisden and a couple of Harold Robbins. I never went to a gallery. Nobody ever discussed culture in that way. I had to find all of that for myself later on. But I do think because of my, my brother was really a great success. He was on the cover of The Sun wearing Union Jack swimming trunks. And it said, Paul flies in. It didn't even need his surname because he was the youngest wicketkeeper England had ever had. So uh, I think the attention he got, we had the press outside the door and we had this and that. I think my parents encouraged my drawing because they wanted to encourage me. They didn't want me to feel, uh, you know, in his shadow, so to speak, which I never did because I was never a sportsman. So I was just drawing on my own. There was no art scene.
0: Um, I uh, as well as Disney I can research that you had uh, your influences also were the film posters of the era. oh yes 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 um, but also interestingly one of my favourite artists yeah. uh, David Hockney now I read that you were desperate to be Hockney now was that stylistically or artistically or maybe both um, I I was desperate to be Hockney later
1: on when I was at art school. I wouldn't have known Hockney when I was, you know, a kid. Mm. When I was a kid, yes, it was movie posters. Uh, that's what I wanted to be, a, a movie poster artist, designer. And those were real artists, Bob Peak, Bob McGuinness, Arnaldo Putsu. I didn't know their names then, but to me, the cinema was my escape. I went every week, and usually on a Saturday... I would hang around when the manager came out and took the glass off the front of the thing and took the poster down. I would try and get the poster. And boy, do I wish I had them now. (laughs) Carry On films were my favorite. And the Carry On posters are extraordinary. And I used to have a whole collection of them. Now I lost them along the way, but they're worth thousands and thousands of pounds now. These are real collector's
0: items. That's annoying. I was going to try and sell them for you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, um, no, they're
1: really something. I love them.
0: And I know, I know, Mm -hmm. because we've known each other for a long time, Mm -hmm. I know that you love Mad Men.
1: Oh, yes. I love that era. And Bob Peake, who is uh, the greatest of the film poster designers, he was a madman. He was a Madison Avenue commercial artist. He was genius. I have a few of his pieces, and... I look at them in awe. What he couldn't do, he was, A, he's a draftsman, extraordinary draftsman, but he was a designer. He could play with scale and it's a great colorist. I mean, these were works of art. This is what I passionately wanted to do. And I'm very glad it didn't happen because, well, A, I didn't have the skill set to do it, if I'm being honest. But also illustrated film posters died a death in the
0: 70s. Really, well. And it's really, you hardly ever see one now. Hardly ever. My timing was off. So it wouldn't be amazing if someone came along and said, would you Oh, they do from time
1: to time, and it never gets anywhere. I've done DVD and Blu-ray covers. That's as close as I've got. I did Belle de Jour, one of my favorite. You know, I was thrilled to have these jobs. And a couple of years ago, I got quite close to a film poster. I was well paid not to do it in the end. Because the studio I knew the studio wouldn't do it. the director wanted me to do it. We did all these drawings, we did uh, several kind of rounds, and all the way through, I just knew the shoe would drop, and they would say no, but all the time they were paying me, I was fine, and ultimately they said no.
0: the ultimate non gig yes,
1: it was a really good <laughs> non gig um I've had several of those
0: and just sticking to kind of the early years yes, what, what yes. was the first artwork you bought? was it a film poster? Oh,
1: yes. Uh, Well, no, I didn't buy them. I used to be given them, as I say, by the the manager of the the Odeon in Seven Oaks. I didn't really buy work until, say, 10 or 15 years ago. I used to swap work with fellow students or friends and Mm. things like that. I didn't have the money to do it. I mean, when I could buy and wanted to buy film posters, I did. Italian ones, particularly, from the 60s. So, yeah, and I regard them as artworks, for sure. Of course. But I didn't really buy work until until I could afford it.
0: Moving on to your remarkable career. Remarkable. Remarkable. um, Fabulous and remarkable. (laughs) You started off as a commercial illustrator. Oh, yeah. uh, But your big break was being sent to the fashion shows in 1996 to draw couture. Did you feel ready? And what was it like? I asked that because... You were a commercial illustrator. You're then thrown into this kind of remarkable Mm. narnia of a world, to (laughs) quote you. And I got the impression that the picture editor, you know, obviously recognised your talent, but kind of sent you on a whim. Tell me, what was it like? And crossing that kind of, not threshold, but kind of line into...
1: Going through the invisible door.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: I never thought I was an artist. When I was growing up and going to art school... Fine artists were one thing and commercial artists were another. We never mixed, you know, there was a great um, mythology around fine artists. And with us, we were taught to do a job. And I remember my tutor saying, more important than the job is the deadline. And I was schooled in that. I never had the confidence to say, I'm an artist. This is my work. You know, judge me on my work. I always needed a job, a brief to make you happy. You know, a commercial artist, you wag your tail when the phone rings. This was my life. And I didn't feel talented enough, frankly, to consider myself an artist. So I'd done a dozen years in the commercial world. I'd done every damn job. I never said no. I thought, be a moving target. Don't have a style, don't have a subject matter, do it all. And it worked. You know, I was busy, my phone was ringing, my fax was whirring, that dates me, and um, I was paying my mortgage and living nicely, but I was bored to tears, and I used to sort of get this frisson of resentment when people say, you're so lucky doing what you love. And I was drawing How to Pot Rosemary for Sainsbury's (laughs) magazine, or I was drawing... Lloyd's Bank, something. Or I famously, I love telling this one. I did a sex manual. I did theatre poses. I did what you asked me to do. That was my thing, and I thought that was the best way to keep working.
0: And can I just ask also, mm. like you know, in my research, I obviously I see these you know fabulous uh, illustrations now, but I couldn't find no. your older work. <laughs> no, no. One day I checked the dark uh, web. As well. Yeah, I <laughs> know. There, there
1: is. There's the dark. Uh, I have an attic of shame. I did keep it all.
0: But can I ask, what was the style like? Was it just, you know, uh, bob It peak? varied.
1: Yeah. I, I felt, um, as I say, one day I was doing a map and I was doing Waitrose frozen French bread with a guy and onions over his, on a bicycle. Then I was doing, I adapted, I guess. i never felt or thought I had a style until people started copying it. And then I thought, everyone sent me this stuff that and I thought, wow, don't remember doing that. But I didn't really at initially i i I tried to adapt and you know you wanted to make the art director happy that was my job but i'd done a dozen years and i was honestly bored and i was talking to my a great friend of mine who's a cartoonist and we were basically moaning about being successful which you're not allowed to do obviously because lots of people don't get to be in demand as we both were but we had no um Agency, You know, we had no control. We just did what we were asked. And he said, oh, he said, it's like being a hamster in a wheel. And I said, yeah. And he said, it's only worse when they take the wheel. And I thought, oh, dear God, (laughs) is this the future? I either run around like this or someone's taking my (laughs) wheel. And out of the blue came this call. And it really did. It uh, Sometimes, I mean, obviously, you edit your life for something like this and cut to the chase. But I got a phone call. And it was Tommaso Capuano from the FT. And he said, do you want to go to Paris and do the couture shows? And I said, yes, I do. And I'd never been anywhere on someone's money, you know, because illustrators are in the attic room with a cat on Radio 4. We didn't do anything like that. And so having an expenses paid trip, honestly, I was thrilled. And the couture thing was slightly secondary to me. I knew about couture and I'd done fashion drawing, you know, because I'd done every kind.
0: Yeah.
1: But it was not a specialism and it was... I don't think I loved fashion, but I was aware. It was the time when it was beginning to get onto the front pages, not just the fashion pages. Mm. And I love fashion drawing because there's always that element of um, surprise and uh, a great looseness to it. So, you know, I went... I thought, what the hell? How great!
0: And am I correct? It was. It was it the. Was it Valentino at the Ritz? And that evening. Yes. It yes. Was the I, I mean, Ritz. I went
1: straight. It was like skiing. I went on to the black run. I'd never seen a show, and I was told to get off the Eurostar and go to the Ritz. I'd never been on the Eurostar, let alone gone to the Ritz, and I had to draw the fittings at Valentino. And Mr. Valentino was there, and Mr. Giametti, and Carlos Souza and. Amber Valletta and Naomi was expected and his dogs were around. They all began with an M and they had a black V nappy for Valentino. And it was an extraordinary world. It was like going through the invisible door into this other world.
0: Did you feel comfortable in it immediately? Was it Uh, daunting? No, but
1: I wasn't frightened. I wasn't nervous, oddly, because I didn't, it wasn't something I'd wanted to do. I'd crave, you know, my big, I didn't see it as my big break. I saw it as, wow, this will be interesting. I didn't think I'd do it twice. Mm. I thought, I'll come back with dinner party stories for sure. So I wasn't as nervous as I might have been because I didn't know enough. I also didn't know that this was extraordinary access. I assumed this is what Fashion illustrators got, and it really isn't. Yeah. But I went straight to that, and then I went to the Ritz in the evening for the show, and it was Versace and... Kate and Linda and Naomi, you know, once you're in a room with a supermodel, you do realise they're made on a different plan to normal people. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for anything. It really was a Baz Luhrmann movie. I sat and drew and, you know, thought, well, this is fun. C'est la vie. <laughs> yeah, I really thought, this is fun. And by the time I got to the, I didn't do every show, but I did about four or five days. And I got back on the Eurostar and I knew that I had found my métier. And I just really wondered whether it was commercially viable because Mm. there were very few fashion illustrators then that were visible, Mm. wonderful Mats Gustafsson, François Berthaud, Gladys Parent-Palmer, a handful. But, you know, I was used to working every day, all the time, Mm. stuff coming in, and I thought, is this even vaguely possible? But I made myself a promise... That I would go back to Couture in six months because it's January and July and however it happened I would scare up a gig and go and Uh, I did.
0: I watched this wonderful video of you drawing the Vanity Fair Hall of Fame um, and you alluded to the fact you said that it was the biggest and best job there you can get. I mean, all the ingredients there are kind of magnificent. Every job you do in kind of fashion is, is magnificent. What could top that? What would be next? Because does, does it get bigger than that? Vanity no, Fair? It,
1: no, actually, no. I think the golden age of magazines is definitely past. I believe working with Graydon Carter at Vanity Fair, I had five or six years, I think. When he left, I, to all intents and purposes, left. I now work with Airmail, which is his weekly mm. online kind very of... popular. Yeah, it's great. And I actually have a business card for the first time in 40 years. I'm an editor-at-large of Airmail. I'm very proud. I never have it with me, but I do have a card. No, in terms of magazines, there was nothing better because he's the last of the great editors. There were budgets. They uh, were very respectful about drawing and... They gave it the same prominence and the same respect they gave to their great photographers. He was open to ideas, so I'd say, Oh, I want to draw Angelica Houston. He'd say, Do it, wow. and I was able to go to her house. And you know, so in terms of magazines, no, I don't think there will ever be something like that. But over the years, I, you know, I did linda evangelista for v magazine and she flew to paris to do it wow and i had to pick the couture i was so nervous Wow! so you know i really feel i had the best of that but there's always something else
0: You are the first artist-in-residence. I am the Carid. last artist-in-residence. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Farriches. only artist-in-residence. I am the only um, artist-in-residence. Which so. is a match made in illustration <laughs> heaven. I, uh, How does it work?
1: Well, um, it was Paula Fitzherbert, mm. really, the PR here, or Director of Communications, let's give her her full title. Uh, she kind of came up with the idea. In the sense that she saw me drawing on vogue tv which was a thing then 10 years ago i'm not sure that's still going on and she just said why don't you come and do something like that here and i just said wow yes why don't i but we didn't really have a clear idea what it meant and then somebody thomas cox was the manager then one of the three of us actually it actually wasn't me so one of the two of them Came up with the three magic words artist in residence. It's a very romantic sounding thing. It's a very easy thing. It publicized itself all over the world. I was doing interviews because people would say, Oh my goodness, what's it like? Yes, oh, do you have a suite? Do you have a butler? Do you have the same room? (gasps) What do you do? And you know, people flooded Claridge's. Somebody wanted to be the first ballet dancer in residence and wanted to pirouette around the (laughs) lobby. They wanted writers in residence readers in residence. it just became this thing, and but then we had to figure out well, what does it mean? What does artist in residence mean and again, I credit Paula because she said, "Well, look, you know, we looked around and there's Audrey Hepburn and Carrie Grant and Yul Brynner and all these guests from the past, black and white photographs you see in the reading room in the lobby and she said, "Look, you know they used to do all of this, but we're not doing anything on my watch um." why don't we do it with drawing? And these were the magic words to me. If you were, why don't you do it with drawing is a really magic phrase to any illustrator or artist. And so it became a thing where I would draw famous guests of the hotel who had a story with the hotel. It's not just you're famous, because there's someone famous here all the time uh, on a junket or just passing through. So they kind of came up with a list, a secret list like an ingredients list no one's allowed to know it of people that they would like to sit and that's what we do and it's difficult because almost no one is here on holiday they're here working and so you have to break into their schedule you have to justify breaking into their schedule and they have to sit and it can be tricky sometimes there's whole team of PRs that would rather you weren't doing it that you know had their own call on the time and sometimes it's very easy they just really want to do it and they take the morning out
0: but we always get there and tell me you um, have this wonderful wonderful gallery downstairs on the way to the French salon does everyone that every guest that you draw make onto the wall or
1: yes if, if we ask them and they agree uh, yeah they've got to be on the wall but I always said, you know, it's like, it's a talking heads gallery. I like to think if you went down there at 2am, you'd hear some pretty good stuff.
0: <laughs> and and I, just I, want,
1: I just want to urge the listeners, yes. it's, it's, you know,
0: visiting Clarence is one thing, but also seeing David's portraits is really something else. And they've actually expanded downstairs and kind of further along yes. the corridor. Yes, I
1: mean, for a time we had a hiatus when I, we filled the space and thought, well, what now? You know, if you, if I draw anyone else, someone's got to come down, which wouldn't work. Or we have to go upstairs, which just somehow doesn't work. But now they've gone down five floors, so I can keep going. But it's—I uh, love it. You know, the, one of the great things of my job, if I can call it a job, is who I meet across the of course, drawing board. Yeah, I can imagine. And you know, I get to sit with people I admire, and you know, usually, almost always—I can hardly think of an exception. Uh, They're on their own, you know, and a photographer, when they do a a photo shoot, well, I sat in on a photo shoot for old time's sake recently, and I stopped counting at 25 people. It doesn't take a village. It takes a market town to get a fashion
0: picture. Whereas with me, it's me and them. I'm jumping Jump. the, the, okay, the, the gun right. paragraph, so to speak, but actually okay. it leads me perfectly okay. uh, to a question that I had in the style and process section. Other than the kind of aesthetic differences, what does an illustration do that a photograph can't?
1: Well, they're completely different art forms and they're complementary. They're not in competition. And I believe what the magazines have lost is... The placement of a drawing with a photograph, the drawing makes the photograph look great. The photograph makes the drawing look great. You put a drawing in a magazine and the pace shifts instantly. And the great magazines, I go back really to the 50s, even the 40s, great fashion magazines, they perfectly balanced drawing with photography. And I love fashion photography. Uh, So what can it do that a fashion photograph can't? I think really it is, as I just alluded to, it's one person's perspective. It's what Hockney says, the eye, the hand and the heart. There's there's you. It's your interpretation. The photograph is, obviously the photographer is at the apex of it, but it's a team effort. It's the stylist and the stylist's assistant and the hairdresser and the hairdresser's assistant, the makeup artist and the makeup artist's assistant and the person that gets the pizza and the photographer's three assistants. You know, it is an epic thing today to get a photo shoot done for a magazine and when i drew probably the most sort of spectacular drawing linda evangelista for v magazine if that had been a photo session a photo shoot
0: that would have been dozens of people dozens of people but i'm talking more about aesthetically when you look at when uh, when you look at the picture you know, there's, for example, when I look at your uh, your illustrations, I immediately get transported to that world. I can just completely,
1: you know, see well, myself
0: in that world. I'm talking about the aesthetic effect that an illustration at your level does over a photograph.
1: Well, it's just a completely different thing. It is my interpretation. What I decide to leave out. Mm. A photograph is going to be, you know, the the camera shows what's in front of it, mm. however you style it up or whatever you do. For me, I can say, this is important. Let me concentrate on this. I don't need to draw that arm. They know where the arm is. So it's, a, it's really filtered through you. So therefore, it is also, of course, a portrait of you. All the great fashion artists are very individuals. So you look at it and you go, yeah, I recognize that deal thing, but I recognize who did that deal thing. It is really a personal interpretation. And you have great freedom. Yeah. Great freedom to say, no, I don't need that. Whereas in a photograph, that it's a very, it's a different thing. It's
0: like an apple and a banana. You've been so successful in your career. What uh, have been the key ingredients of your success, other than good luck uh, and talent? But personally, what what has made you get there, do you think? I'm not sure you're ever there, I think, You know, there's always another little mountain
1: to climb, but I think, well, A, I stuck around and I showed up for the job and gradually I got, you know, I couldn't have done the things I was doing when I was 37, parachuted into fashion and dealing with the people, dealing with the situations. I couldn't have done that when I was young. I just couldn't have. Uh, So, Timing is everything in life. It came at the right moment for me. I had enough experience, enough skill. I mean, you have to nurture any talent you have. You have to work Mm. at talent. You know, if you're lucky to be given a small parcel of talent. And I think you have to also, you know, talent really is the 50%. And the rest, you have to learn how to nurture it promote it, how to be, how to react with people, when to, you know, say thus far and no further, when to uh, compromise.
0: It's a whole parcel of things that you need. Um, And then also... um... You know, you work in the fashion world. It must be electric. You're dealing with all sorts of characters. Dare I say, egos? A bit like the mm-hmm. art world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, manoeuvring um, yes. you know, those egos is actually a complete skill in itself. I think manoeuvring is the wrong word, but you know, dealing with these yes these navigating. Navigating. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Not manoeuvring myself. Yes, but maneuvering. Yes. but it's, it's also a skill, and you and you're yes. and you're adored. I mean, the end product is making that person look even more exquisite. But you're adored. Um, you know, Aaron is sort of kind of your pseudo muse or your muse. And, um, you know, you're adored by the fashion world. So that's a whole skill in itself. A kind of Yeah, practicing. no,
1: you have to. Yes. It, the truth is, you do have to work at that in that world. You know, previously, I never met a client. Hardly ever. I would get the phone call. I would get the brief and I would send it on the train. I you know, used to have a thing called Red Star and you would put it in a an envelope, go to the Red Star office. They put it on a train, and someone took it off the other end. I never met a client. I never. I remember once being asked to a party at Christmas for a magazine. Oh, I can't go. I didn't. I never met anyone. It was a very closed world illustration in those days, yeah. and that suits a lot of people. Uh, but I found that I would have to, kind of step up. And once I realised this, I thought, Oh no, I can't. I, I said when I started, I wasn't really nervous. I didn't know to be nervous. But the more I got into it, the more I thought, oh, shit, I don't fit in here. I don't look right. I don't know the hierarchy. I don't, you know, I started to get this uh, nervous reaction to the whole fashion world, which is about excluding a lot. And this is when I came up with my alter ego, who's DD. And I remember I had to ring someone. And I remember thinking, I just can't, I can't do it. I cannot make myself ring them. And I was doodling which against my nerves. And I came up with my signature DD like this. And I thought, I can't do it. He can do it. And it was this light bulb that changed my life. I thought, he can do this. And he did do it. And I always say, it is like a character. It's like a character in a play to me. He has different clothes to me. He has different friends to me. He... And I was never nervous again in that world because I thought it isn't me from down in Sussex it's my sort of normal, inverted commas life. By the way, no one has a normal life. And I just, once I had my character and I went into Yoji Yamamoto, because a friend told me to, he said, well, what are you wearing? And I was sort of wearing Reese or Next or something. He said, what are you wearing? This is fashion. And I said, yeah, but I don't have to, do I? And he said, just go to Yoji. So I went to Yoji Yamamoto and I said, I want to look like an artist doing well. And boy, do you have to be doing well because it's so expensive. But again, it was like this thing. I was able to present. It was me, but not me. And I remember I did a talk for 300 ladies in Phoenix, Arizona, dressed for the Oscars at lunchtime. I didn't have a single nerve because it
0: wow yeah um I want to talk about your uh, style and process um now you and we've kind of touched upon it a little bit uh, earlier in the podcast but you have such a distinct style when you look at your work you feel transported into this incredible world of effortless elegance how long did it take you to perfect um was there a moment it all clicked which I know you've kind of slightly touched upon and did you have to change your style drastically for the fashion world It was there before,
1: it was sort of, it needed awakening. (laughs) But I didn't, I think a style finds you. I I think it's a Mm. fatal thing. Uh, Students often ask me, you know, how, in a way, how do I get my style? But style, you have to trip over it. You have to find it and it will find you eventually. I think, you know, it's like everything, you have to work for it. I, I always say, you know, I don't wait for inspiration because of my training. I work for inspiration. I do it every day, so that's my training. And uh, the style, I said before, I didn't really realise I had a style till it became a popular style to do, which does happen. It's happened to a lot of illustrators and fashion illustrators, particularly if you have any kind of success, people sort of think, oh, you know, I'll do that. But I try not, I don't even like the expression. I, to me, it's an approach. It's a feeling. It's uh, my interpretation Style can be a trap, and it can also be the thing. I think that the best thing you can do to get out of a rut is pick up something else. Pick up charcoal if you were working in Gouache. You know, keeping that fresh... I cannot bear the idea of doing the same thing every day.
0: Which actually, again, leads me on Uh, to... (laughs) Am I leading leading you on to your question? Um, Warhol started as an illustrator and then kind of changed his format and did silk screens and, you know, we know the rest. Um, Have you ever thought... I mean, you mentioned oils. Have you ever thought of... Oh, yes. He's the only person
1: that really escaped, totally escaped the uh, label of illustrator. But he did it deliberately. He's... You know, he was the most successful commercial artist in New York. He had teams of people, including his mum, working for him. Uh, And he invented this line, this blotted line that uh, you could reprint and he had a team of people doing it. But he turned his back on it and he said, I won't take another commission. And he said, I'm not going to be a commercial artist, I'm going to be a money artist, which was the next stage up. And nobody I know has ever quite managed that. Antonio Lopez definitely was trying to transition, shall we say, from the commercial fashion illustrator into a fine artist. I do think about it. I do sell prints. I often think, yes, I need to get into silkscreen. I mean, Warhol is the great, uh, really the great example, the perfect example of somebody who closed a door. It's hard to close a door. I've been slowly closing it, but I never had the courage to
0: slam it and then bolt it. I know that you don't allow as much as you can the subject to see the work Mm. as you go through. But what is a David Downton? Talk me through a a live sitting with David Downton. Uh, It is. It's quite a lot of talk. I feel
1: it's the first stage. The first and vital stage in the process is being in the room with the person. I don't really tell them what to do because sooner or later they sit as they want to sit. Uh, They sit. Naturally, they, uh, you know, they fall into the pose that is natural to them. It's very low key. It's me and a sketch. I used to, I remember once I was drawing Joan Collins in the Oliver Messel suite at the Dorchester. I was as nervous as can be, as you can well imagine, it's 20 years ago. And I took every single thing I owned. It was like I had a refrigerator with me and in it were everything. Pencil, charcoal. I didn't know what I would do, you know. And she was the first very famous person I drew. And I got there, <laughs> sort of bought in this huge suitcase of materials. And the person from the Dorchester looked at me through narrowed eyes and then went and got a dust sheet and put it down all over the floor in case I was Jackson Pollock. <laughs> and I thought, no, I am nervous enough without thinking, am I going to spill something? You know, I'm nervous enough of someone famous, Joan, of me, performance-related nerves. Now I'm worrying about black ink on your carpet. So I now have it down to about five pens, five charcoal sticks, and a sketchbook. And people are always so shocked. They expect me to have an easel and a beret and a smock or, you know, to be de Laszlo or something. But I find the least I can do, the fastest we get over, because I am... Uh, I'm always nervous, whether it's someone famous or not. And I find they are not nervous, but let's say inquiring what's going to happen. Mm. So you have to get over that. And the fastest way I can get over that is by almost nothing is happening. I just sit there with a sketchbook and we talk. And I find it's as much about looking, you draw with your eyes at this point, uh, absorbing, listening, listening, And gradually they relax into it. And most people say, oh, am I doing enough? Because, you know, if you're talking about famous people, they're used to being photographed by Annie Leibovitz. So they come in on an elephant or something. And I just have them sitting across the room with me. And yes, I fill up the sketchbook and I don't let them see. I don't have the confidence to let them see till I think it's good. If I think it's good and you don't, I still think it's good. You know, I will take on board what you say. But if I'm thinking, holy crap, I'm doing really badly here. And then you look and then you lose confidence, then we're, you know. So I do that. I take some pictures on my phone at the end to make sure I can't do it without. I've tried, and I can if it's someone I know really well and they give me a lot of time. But often I get an hour, hour and a half, and then I get home and I look in the sketchbook and I think these are abysmal every time. Every time I think these are shocking. And then I put that away and I'm depressed. And then I look again and I find something. And I find me. I find the map because, because I don't put the pressure on myself, like Don Bacardi say, who will draw the person, famous or not, in real time and then get them to sign it. And often they hate it because he's not about flattering them. Um, So I then find, I find the map of what I should do is in those sketches. What I left out because it's, you know, what I'm thinking is straight away transposed. I'm not filtering it.
0: Is it, it, you know, I I know a lot of artists and they talk about the emotional process of painting. Is it very emotional for you to draw? Is it, it depends on
1: the day or? no it's not emotional it's uh again as i say i was trained commercially i was emotion trained out of me you know this is what i do for a living for me it's enormous satisfying fun stimulation it's the people you meet that has been the I gift for me you know I, i've met so many of my heroes and heroines i've drawn so many of them i never you know i'm starstruck i'm as you said, you know, my thing was uh, the movies as a kid. I'm selectively
0: starstruck. This is my next question, actually. Yeah. Um, you've drawn so many beautiful portraits um, of beautiful women and and of men. Sargent had Madame X. Yes. Uh, Warhol <laughs> had Marilyn, mm-hmm. also Jackie O. Mm-hmm. Newton had his type yes. of woman. And uh, what is a, a Downton woman? And can you also, in the same kind of answer... Uh, highlight a few favourites without your WhatsApp going off and breaking hearts around yeah, the world. Uh, yeah, 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 um, right. I know you're close to Erin. Um, yes, just- Erin
1: yeah. is the perfect. I mean, when I saw her on the catwalk in 1998, I said to the friend I was sitting with, "Who on earth is this?" Because she, in life, was everything I was trying to do on paper. God had got there first. She is a living drawing of brush stroke you can't go wrong she has strong features black and white Mm. great eyebrows nose everything you you know with everybody that i draw they get a little attenuated they get a little stretched out their neck is a bit longer erin you this is she's all done i could just she stood there i could trace her in fact if she walked in you'd start drawing she is made (laughs) to be drawn so when I, you know, this is when I realized that I would have to do this stuff myself. You know, having gone all the way through being, responding to the phone call. Um, once I began in fashion and thought, you know, okay, how am I going to get there? I became ambitious, which I'd never been. I was ambitious only to do the job, make people happy, pay my mortgage, fine. Then I became focused. And once I saw Aaron, I knew, I thought, holy shit, I've got to do this and I had an exhibition and somebody came and said oh I'm her booker and that was it that trap snapped shut and I did not shut up and then she got stuck in London on a visa issue because she was living in New York and she's English and it all happened but I knew I just knew straight away and I knew I would have to push it and once I had my DD to push it for me I was just shameless about who I remember Stella Tennant who, extraordinary, extraordinary Mm. beauty, but great character, great personality, great force. And she came to my exhibition without me knowing it, and I got a check from a Miss S. Tennant, Days of Checks, 1998. And in those days, you put your phone number on the back. Holy crap. I called her up and said, oh, would you consider sitting for a drawing? Because I thought, well, you bought something, you know. She said, oh... I don't see why not. And she said, I'm going to New York. And I said, I'm going to New York, which I wasn't. And she said, when are you going? I said, when are you going? And I literally flew there to draw her wow. because I knew I had to then. You know, I was on a mission. I now had my subject. I now had a mission. And so um, none of these people are a Downton woman. They are all extraordinary beings. You know, all I have to do is be in the room they are of the drawing they the person is the drawing you you're the interpreter then.
0: i want to pick out um one, well, I mean, they all so fabulous. And just early before we came up, we looked. I saw the Laura Bailey and the Sophie Dahl, Iman, Gillian Anderson. Um, but there's one that I found quite interesting actually, because uh, you know your work is so uh, performative, and you really kind of illustrate the. I mean, I'm saying this probably badly, but the person's face, and you add so much to it. And then I came across the Jasmine Guinness portrait, which is a side-on, and it's quite uh, redacted for you. It's kind of it's mm. it's kind of melancholically beautiful. <laughs> I found it quite different to the others. That's interesting. Uh, It's, um, well, she was nine months pregnant,
1: I remember. And she was living on the King's Road in a flat. This is my memories of it. It's not what you're talking about. But what I remember about that is she was pregnant. She was uh, on a sofa kind of just thinking. And a bus went past with her picture on it. She was at that... The flat was at that height with a double-decker bus and it stopped right outside the window and there was Jasmine in a, some modelling campaign on the bus and there was Jasmine sitting like this in the foreground. Um, in terms of the style of that particular piece, I'm informed by the person. I'm informed by them, their mood, the feeling, and I try and interpret that as well as a likeness. A likeness is a knack. And some great artists don't have it. I remember talking to Catherine Deneuve, and I'd drawn her. And she said she'd been painted by Kittage. And she said he never could get it. You know, it was just eluded him. And on the other hand, a lot of really mediocre artists can do a likeness. And it is a knack, and I have the knack. And I'm very glad I have it. Because there's a lot of knacks I don't have, including Perspective. And drawing buildings and god knows what but somehow I can see in your face what's important to draw what you pull out what you leave out what you I don't know how sometimes I stand on Victoria Station and all these faces are coming towards me and I know instantly what I would draw with this person it's funny
0: that's genius though no
1: I think it's a knack I think it's uh,
0: your, your eye is trained I want to move on to your because uh, you, you you have you uh, get commissioned um, uh, outside of obviously the big artist residence uh, you're you're commissioned by a lot of people um, and also uh, you sell your prints. I, I find them for what you're getting. I find them remarkably affordable for the beauty that people are buying. Good. Buy some. Uh, I, <laughs> it's uh it's good. Christmas is coming though. Um but, but give me an idea um and educate me. Um you sell your prints, who buys them? Um I think that's the first thing I want to know who actually buys them? Is it uh I a fashion sell them, yes um I sell original works and
1: I sell prints. I found that a lot of my shall we call it fan base who want to own a piece of work basically can't afford it and I wanted to make affordable prints the giclée on Hannah Muller paper and I wanted a really good quality and I just felt that it was an important thing to do I think with original works mercifully the price is rising and that's great and with the portrait commissions you know that's another price level again so I kind of wanted to be able to do it and I did a range of cards, for example, and I really loved that idea. What did, what did I ever buy at a museum? I bought the postcard, you know, I loved doing that. And I found, I, I think it's a nice way, a positive way to kind of circulate imagery. And, you know, I remember the day that a Picasso sold for hundreds of millions or whatever And I was in the Picasso Museum in Paris and there was the same work in a bookmark for a euro. And I thought, this is really (laughs) smart. You could pay a hundred million or you could buy a bookmark of the same image for a euro. Um, I don't do enough of it. I started my online store during COVID when everything I had was cancelled because most of it involves travel. I don't do very much commercial uh, illustration now. I do it, I mean, all choices in illusion, but I do now have some form of choice. Whereas I told you before I would do everything. And I really, I think, you know, a commercial artist is solving someone else's problem. The art director's problem, the brand director's problem, you know, an artist solves their own problems. It's a much worse yeah. boss to have. So the, the prints just became a thing that I could do. And I enjoy doing. I don't have time, perhaps I, to do enough of it. But
0: I may. Um, and as I said, I urge uh, the listeners to uh, get a taste yes. of. Um, I the urge print. them to as well. I urge them to, but no, really to walk down <laughs> the, get the David Downton Gallery at Claridges. It's uh, it's a really an amazing experience. Um, what are your thoughts on the contemporary art world? I don't know. I'm as
1: confused as the next person. I mean, I saw the William Kentridge exhibition mm, yesterday fabulous. at the RA. I thought it was the most extraordinary, exhilarating, exciting, emotional, involving exhibition I've seen in years. I walked around Freeze and I did not know where to look. But I I have to say I was only there very briefly because I was going to New York, so it was the opening day and I just did a bit. I do not know. I celebrate any and every artist who can put work out there and God help us all make a living but do I understand it? Very rarely. And then when I see something, I saw Marlene Dumas in Venice. And I thought, oh, I hate this. I can't stand this. I was walking around in a bad mood. And then I saw a wall of portraits and I was transported. I thought, it's just brilliant. Wonderful. So it's a bit like fashion. I'm trained myself not to have an opinion. Yeah. Because in the early days, I used to say, oh, I love that red one. Everyone, Red one? <laughs> So with art, I think uh, whatever moves you and everyone go to William Kentridge before the 11th of December. Yeah. What an extraordinary Yeah, Yeah, um, yeah.
0: My, uh, my sisters went recently, It was wonderful, and they their kids as well. It's a great experience. Yes. To round it up. Round um, it up. Um, just yeah. to run out the art section. Um, mm-hmm. What, uh, well, you kind of answered one already. Uh, what, what do you collect and what's on your walls? Other than the film posters, Uh, which you lost. So what's replaced that? Well, Bob Peake, who
1: I talked about at the beginning, the greatest of the film poster artists in my book, I now collect his original drawings. I've got amazing charcoals of Burt Lancaster and Marlon Brando and these studies, they're really big. I mean, I don't have any of my work on my walls anywhere. I don't even have it at the studio. I put it in drawers. I don't want to see what I did and didn't do. But I have several Bob Peaks there. Uh, Erickson, Erikson, great fashion artist. René Boucher, portrait of Sophia Loren. You know, all the things I was obsessed with when I was 10 are the, still the same things I'm obsessed with. I'm not nostalgic. The past is the present to me. I don't see the division. So I have quite a lot of those. I My favourite, how can you have a favourite photographer, but... He pushed me. One of my favorite photographers is Saul Leiter, mm. great New York colorist. And I met him probably 10 years ago, maybe even more. And there was a gallery of his work. and I was in New York and he came in wow. and signed the back. of them. So I have some of his, my great friend Carmen, the model, 91 and the most beautiful woman in every room she's in. And the least interesting thing about her is how beautiful she is. I have an Avadon of her, which she gave me in 1957.
0: Don't tell me that.
1: Which she <sighs> took out of the bin. And she said, Oh, Dick, can <laughs> I, Don't I have this? That either. I know, it's wow. the most beautiful picture of wow. her. It, I mean, she's been modeling since 1945. She's posed for Penn and Beaton and Rawlings and up to Helmut Newton and wow. uh, Nick Knight and all of that. But this Avadon
0: out of the bin. I have. What a wonderful... wonderful I know. 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 It really is extraordinary. Um, David, you've been Mm. absolutely incredible and (laughs) entertaining as always, but I have a final question. Final, yeah. Okay, Um, I'm ready. Which artist from any period would you commission to do your portrait? To do my portrait?
1: My portrait, I would have a single line, David Hockney, sort of from the 19... That period in the 60s when he drew... um, well, everyone, but I'm thinking of Cecil Beaton, W. H. Auden, single sort of rotoring line, almost. Very. Uh, I would have one of those, and for Didi, I would have a full-on Baldini, the size of a bomb door, <laughs> and I would put that somewhere he would like it.
0: That is one of the best answers. Um, <laughs> David, yeah, That is the best, so, best. That, is, that is the best Yeah, answer. you're not
1: like. going to get a better one. <laughs> um, a
0: Baldini, David,
1: I would love a Baldini. Um, not of me, actually.
0: Thank you so much thank for your you. time. it was and fun. It's, it's
1: always thrilling talking to you. Thank you so much.